0: You are now listening to Femme Podcast with Tessa Markle and Carolina Alvarez. Mmm, Femme. Hey listeners, want to start your own podcast? Let us tell you our favorite tool. Anchor is the one-stop shop for all your podcasting needs. Here's why. Anchor lets you record and edit your show right from your phone or computer. So no matter your setup, you can start creating right now. Then, it distributes your show to the most popular listening platforms, like Apple and Spotify. Plus, it's the only place you can send video content to Spotify. Creators can even earn money on Anchor with ads
1: and subscriptions. Best of all, it's all free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, fam fam, it's your girls, Carolina and Tessa. Hi. Girl, give me more energy. Match me. Hey. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. Y'all, it is the last season, last season, whoo, dare I say, last episode. Uh, Are you, are
0: you fading us? What's what's happening? Guys, we're not quitting.
1: (laughs) No, uh, we are quitting. Um, this is, we've extended this season than we've normally, you know, choose to kind of do and that's because more amazing guests just kept coming and tonight's, I say tonight because we're recording at night, but the guest that we have on today is a return guest, um, because he was so amazing (laughs) on our podcast, uh, it's been like a year now, I want to say. It was season nine. Season nine. Thanks, Tessa. Because she's, mm-hmm. she's clocked it in. She knows what it's about. Um, yeah, he was on season nine. It is Mr. Chris Heck, director, filmmaker, all the things, writer.
0: <laughs> Extraordinaire. Extraordinaire.
1: Um, no, you guys really loved his episode. And if you didn't get to hear it, uh, definitely after listening to this one, go back. Season nine, Chris Heck. He's one heck of a guy. I'm pretty sure I made that joke last time, and he's going to be like, he definitely did. <laughs> okay. Grunts, grunts. I can hear you grunting, Chris. Um, no, but today we were, we were just so excited to reconnect and talk about his feature film. Uh, this is his first feature film. It is called The Savage State, and he's currently campaigning on WeFunder.com. So definitely make sure after hearing all about this dark atmospheric and visual fantasy world that he's building. I know you guys tend to love the same kind of genres that we love. So I think you're going to be a fan of his work if you aren't already. And more so like all the cool tech that he's building into it. Um, the, just the art, like we just fucking love art and we've brought on like, artists on our show before and I think we always like geek out and nerd out about it and I just man Chris just has such a cool sense of that and I think you guys are really gonna enjoy this episode and learning how he created that what inspires him and just some takeaways on the whole fundraising process because your girls are about to go hit
0: that hard too for saint. yes yeah right tessa <laughs> and yes if you're interested in investing um he's got a really cool opportunity because there's this thing called equity crowdfunding which is actually investing it's not donations but it's not as like you don't have to invest a huge amount of money and be this traditional like Uh, you know, all all this, all the technical stuff of it is removed. makes it real easy for anybody to be a part. So if you're interested, the link is in the show notes. It also came out on our newsletter. So if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, go do so. Just go to our website, femguard.com. A little pop-up will happen. Put your email in there and you get some free shit just for subscribing. (laughs) So like, win, win, all around. (laughs) Subscribe. And also, just to let you guys know, since this is the last episode of the season and we are going to be busy, busy, busy trying to raise some money, um, we are going to be taking a short break. So we will still be super active on all the social medias. You guys will get our newsletter. We're going to have a few more out than normal coming up because we're going to be starting our crowdfunding. So keep an eye out for that if you guys want to be amazing and help us out with that, whether that means donating, even sharing, everything helps. But yes, we will alas be missing for a few weeks while we get our shit together. But uh, don't yeah. worry, we're not quitting. We're coming back. We're I not quitting. And some little insight
1: into what our next season may look like. Um Tess and I discussed because yes, it's a lot. It's it's a full-time job as we get into it in this episode about fundraising. But we're hoping to um maybe make these This next season, more about our journey into it and what we're learning, what we're tackling on. And so, they're just going to be a lot of us time. So, I hope that, you know, we'll leave with that. They might feel a little shorter, but you're going to get a lot more intimate with us.
0: Mm, It'll be like you're on a date (laughs) with
1: both of us. Yeah. So, maybe less cool interviews I know you love our guests but hopefully you'll but that's not to say there won't be any guests you know yeah. if somebody
0: pops up like we are still open to that so don't worry
1: <laughs> exactly so stay tuned we're not here to to go I, <laughs> no, <I'm
0: sorry. laughs> I like all right, that all right, we're, we're not just here face to now. go just phase out. no i give time. you that
1: in <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy Since we last spoke, like, how has your how has your life been personally and professionally? Like, what about you, Chris? Tell us. What has what has been going on? It's
2: been really good. I think um I think when we first when we spoke, it was maybe about a year ago, I think. And, um, but yeah, I've been, uh, been good. I've been busy. I think the biggest thing as we kind of touched on a little bit, I'm I'm making my first feature. So a lot of last year was the writing process for that, doing some location scouting. Um, the location is about 3000 miles away. So that's like a whole thing. You know, I got to go out there and take a bunch of pictures and then come back and, And uh, and then just hustling the day job, you know, making commercials and a lot of content for nonprofits and stuff like that. So staying busy. But the Savage Day has definitely been the majority of my time the past year, for sure, and will continue to be for the next foreseeable future foreseeable, yeah. <laughs> so we understand goes. that completely yeah. and
0: just as a little refresher for many any of our listeners that hadn't listened to your first episode listeners it's in season nine go back and check it out um if you want to just give them really really briefly a little bit of kind of your background of what you do
2: yeah so for everybody other than carolina's mom who loved, <laughs> loved that episode um yeah so i'm a writer director sometimes producer uh based in joshua tree california Uh, but born and raised in Vermont and uh, kind of have a foot in the Phoenix scene as well. Uh, But basically, the day job is producing content for a lot of nonprofits, small businesses, um, generally organizations that are doing something good. That's what my company tries to focus on is not just selling a product, but really, you know, companies and organizations that have a a positive mission that we want to get behind. And we try to uh, bring a lot of The filmmaking experience that myself and my team have, you know, we've worked on, you know, Hollywood blockbusters and Oscar nominated movies and all sorts of stuff. And so sort of bringing that experience Mm -hmm. to a smaller organization saying, hey, can we tell a really compelling story that's going to help you, you know, raise more money or get your message out there further? Uh, So that's sort of the day job. And then on the, you know, the off time, just hustling and, and like every other filmmaker out there trying to make movies of my own.
0: Yeah. I love that, that you, that you, you know, meld those two worlds. It's not just, you're just making a commercial that, you know, states what this nonprofit does. It's like, you're, you're telling it in a compelling way because I mean, you know, if you look at advertising in general, there's so many tactics and everything. And you, they really, they try to, you know, suck the consumer in, but if you can tell the narrative and explain why, you know, this organization is doing the things that they do in a compelling way and make it artistic like that's a real turn on for people like that actually really makes people want to get involved
2: yeah i think for us you know we look at what's happening in the marketing and advertising industry right now is everything's going shorter and shorter and shorter so you've got a 15 Mm -hmm. second spot a seven second spot you know because everybody knows you know we've lost our attention spans and so while the industry sort of moved in that direction I thought, let's go the other way, let's make a 15 Mm -hmm. minute spot, you know, which essentially is a short film, you know, and, and the (laughs) idea is that if we can create a compelling story that you're just Mm -hmm. watching and enjoying and not realizing that you're being advertised to um yeah. mm-hmm. it it's going to give you you're going to hopefully form a relationship with that brand or that organization sort more organically than some, you know, snappy little 7-second s- thing that you're going to end up forgetting about. And and realistically, yeah. it costs us just as much to make that 10-minute short as it does to make that 7-second, you know, commercial. So and it's also much more artistically rewarding, you know, for yeah. for those of us involved. Yeah. So Um, I, I see it as a really a win-win all around. Um, the client is getting something really unique. We as artists are getting to create something really unique that's rewarding. And ultimately the audience is getting something that they enjoy watching, not just, Mm -hmm. Hey, we're going to shove this product down your throat real quick.
0: Yeah. (laughs)
1: Love it. Love it. We're here for it. (laughs) So the Savage State shot in Vermont. you're from vermont why don't you tell our listeners what the savage state is about and why other than it being your beloved hometown i'm sure for many reasons that inspired you to be a filmmaker um why yeah that just felt like you needed to go back and tell the story there
2: yeah so i grew up in vermont a small town called rutland and um for the first 20 years of my life, it was kind of all that I knew, you know, I didn't travel a ton. My family didn't travel a ton. So, um, but once I hit 20, I I left and I moved across the country and I started traveling the world and, and going all sorts of different places. And it was, it's been a very rewarding experience, but coming home, now to this place that's a little less familiar you know you you start yeah. to see it differently and so that's mm-hmm. that's really changed for me my admiration for vermont and new england in general and um i just get a feeling there you know and and the mm-hmm. the stories that are that inspire me you know in in new england are just so much different than anywhere else on the in the world and so And I tend to, as we talked about last time, tell, you know, darker, weirder stories tend to be sort of my forte and and my interest and the thing that I'm, you know, drawn to. And there's just something about New England that's very, like, it's in the veins. That's why you have Stephen Mm -hmm. King's and H.P. Lovecraft's and these, you know, the biggest, you know, genre creators um, have come out of New England. There's just something in the blood out there. And so... Um every time i 'm back there i'm I'm very drawn to that, and so for a long time i've been wanting to make my first feature, but couldn 't really settle on what it was. You know I had mm-hmm. a lot of cool ideas you could say, but if you're gonna if you're going to commit years of your life and and other people's time and and other people 's money and your own money and all these resources to create something it's got to be better than just oh, that'd be cool, you know it mm-hmm. has to really come from the heart. It's got to be something you're, you're committed to just telling. And Mm
1: -hmm.
2: for me, a huge part of that journey was a lot of this nonprofit work that I've been doing, you know, for a long time, I was working with an organization called Not My Kid, and we were helping people who were in recovery, people who Mm -hmm. uh, maybe have been affected by suicide, you know, things like that, tell their story. So I, as a filmmaker, was helping them tell their story in a in a do- more documentary sense. And so it started to get yeah. ingrained in me of how am I going to tell my story, but not in a documentary? Because that's not my mm-hmm. that's not my style. That's not how I uh, express myself. And so instead, I wrapped it up in a dark fantasy, you know, sort of similar to you know, I compare it to stuff I grew up on, like The NeverEnding Story or, or you know, Studio Ghibli or Jim Henson, you know, like those really handmade uh, sort of fantasy films that you don't really see existing as much anymore. Yeah. And I think there was also something about that era that a lot of those stories had really heavy themes. And mm-hmm. I feel like sort of post-Toy Story, Shrek, you know, like kids' movies really changed. And they can certainly explore some, some things, but for the most part, it's sort of tongue in cheek jokes and and that sort of thing. And I wanted to create something that I would have enjoyed when I was 10 years old and something that would have helped me process what I was going through at 10 years old, you know, Mm because I think ultimately the escapism of fantasy, when it really does its job, it helps us process reality. And so I wanted to create that. And so hopefully some 10-year-old kid can watch this movie and, and, and feel seen and feel understood a little bit more. Um, so that's sort of where it came from. What that ended up being was, um, like I said, it's it's sort of a dark fantasy. It's, it takes place in 1850s New England. It's about a, a boy who's aban- been abandoned in the woods, and he sees a shooting star crash and decides if I can go get that star and bring that back to my family, then uh, maybe they'll let me back in. And so it's his journey through the, the wilderness uh, and encountering all sorts of creatures and beings uh, yeah. to to get this fallen star.
0: Very cool. That's a really good point you make, too. I guess I haven't really thought about it. Like, yeah, kids' movies when we were growing up were way, like, darker. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't even necessarily mean, like, the actual content of, this, of the plot, even though sometimes they were, but sometimes they weren't. But just, like yeah, the, they were they were fantasies for mm. kids. And, like sometimes they were really creepy, like the dark crystal. if you guys yeah. remember that movie, like yeah. that was a creepy movie, you know, but they were made for kids, and they were, you know, made to like yep. tell this deeper story. And so, yeah, it's really cool that you're doing something like that again because you're right. We don't really see that anymore. Kids stuff is a lot of times way more. And I do think that like Pixar is starting to like get a little deeper into the stuff now, but it's still not like as spooky and (laughs) fantastical as it used to be.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I I think very naturally there's a, there's a a want to sort of protect kids from, Mm -hmm. you know, certain types of themes and stuff. But when I think back to what I was experiencing at that age in, in real life, you know, it's like it's heavy stuff, and and I think mm-hmm. a lot of kids are going through heavy things, and they need content, they need media to, that that sort of helps them understand that world and those realities, not just something that helps them forget about it, because then you end up. But 34. They, then they hop
1: on social media and they see horrible things. Right. anyway, absolutely, everyone has a phone, so it's like how they're already exposed to yeah. it or pre-exposed to it, and then you know, your your film can help them navigate an understanding mm-hmm. of what what is even going on in the world. Because that's what, to me, the, the young kids that, um, before I landed this full-time, I was doing some nannying. And wow, like these kids are so intelligent and they're so with it. Like they know everything that's going on in the world. Like you can literally have a deep dive conversation about culture uh economics with an eight-year-old like they'll know what is going on or like you know some awareness they'll ask questions but it's like it it really put it was actually such a cool gig to have to kind of put that perspective of like what these young kids are like processing and going through Mm -hmm. um which I was going to ask you what what are you doing to kind of tap re-tap into that and and then and write you know, this understanding from this 10-year-old's perspective. I'm sure you have a process into that.
2: Yeah, a a huge part of it for me, and really part of what started before the story was even written, you know, before page one, um, I started getting back into a lot of the stuff that I was into when I was that age. So trying to watch those movies, listen to that music, you know, video games, comic books, like, you name it, all that stuff. And, And really... it it sort of taps into that sensory memory of, of being that age and having those experiences by consuming that content again. And so it really helped bring me back to that age range, um, and sort of put me in that mindset. Um, and then from there, I really stopped worrying about making a kid's movie. You know, I, 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 I even, sh-
1: I, I was thinking you were going to say that at some point. You're like at the end of the day because they process it
2: exactly, you know, yeah. they're,
1: they're still processing it just like we the are. The only thing yeah. I've been
2: conscious of is just you know, we don't have anything in it that would be you know, uh, explicit, you know, no swearing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. nudity, things like that, nothing that you would that would give it an R rating. Um, but other than that, I'm like, I'm just going to do well. Yeah, I'm gonna...
0: <laughs> well for
2: you in distribution. We tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, my thought was if I try to focus too much on making a kid's movie, I'm going to be talking down to these children rather than just making something real and something that comes from the heart and is, is authentic, even though it's fantasy. Mm-hmm um yeah the, the people that it's that are supposed to connect to it are going to connect to it and those who aren't supposed to connect to it then they won't and that's I think uh what makes a good film like a film that we love yeah. is a film that somebody else hates you know or it didn't work for somebody else so yeah.
1: <laughs> absolutely and it being in the fantasy genre and having your monsters that you're creating, or or friends, monsters or friends. I don't know. <laughs> they can be both. Um, are we talking visual effects? Um, and the like? How are you building that? And is your are you gonna have a child actor? Are we working
2: with a kid? Yeah, yeah, so... <laughs> oh, honey,
1: tell us, yeah, tell us all these deeds. I have so many questions. Yeah. You know,
2: <laughs> anybody who's listening to this who's a filmmaker has heard the rules before. You know, uh-huh. don't make a period piece, don't use a kid, don't, you know, like, there's all that, mm-hmm. that stuff. And I, <laughs> yep. I think there is some validity to that, but also there are smart ways of working around it, you know, and so... Absolutely. For instance, it being a period piece that takes place in 1850s New England, um, that 90% of the film is in the woods. So mm-hmm. we can make a period piece, and all we gotta worry about is dressing our, our actors. We're not downtown New York City or something like that. So yeah, right. um, there's ways of sort of bending those rules. I think it's, you know, the classic you know the rules and then break them. Um, so uh-huh. we're trying to be very smart about that. I, I like to say that we are ambitious but not naive. You know, we know the rules that we're breaking. Um, but yeah, to answer your question about our creatures, um, it was really important to me that it had a handmade feel to it, you know, once again, mm-hmm. hearkening back to, you know, like Jim Henson and stuff like that. Um, so there is going to be some real world puppetry going on. Um, okay. There are going to be actors in elaborate costumes um, and then Sort of heightening all of that with the effects on top of it, which I think is is what, from the films that I see, I've seen and loved. It's when you meld those two worlds together that the visuals mm-hmm. really shine. Um, I think when mm-hmm. it's too much of one or too much of the other, uh, the seams start to show a little bit. So, yeah. um, so we're using really a mix of traditional, like classic Hollywood tricks that have been going on for a hundred years, uh, combined with super modern technology like we just did um we did a camera test on a virtual production stage so similar to like what they're doing with like mandalorian and the batman and stuff like that the giant you know uh led wall stage Mm -hmm. you know so we're we're testing out you know that like which is the most modern sort of cutting edge technology that we have and then combining that with how would they have done this in 1920, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's going to be, I think, hopefully visually a very unique melding of those worlds.
0: That's very cool. It's really cool that you can, that you're able to, you know, uh, combine all of those things. You know, that you have like both the real world setting of the literal woods and then, you know, like a soundstage. And to mix all of that together, I think is something that like, if you haven't already done it, you don't always necessarily think to do. You know what I mean? Like as a filmmaker, that might not be the first thing people think of that you can combine all of these things.
2: Yeah. I think it's really important to stay up on what's going on in the industry, you know, and, mm. and just, uh, I tend to nerd out on the tech side of things, but, you know, just using that you know, the led walls as an example, you know, as soon as I saw that, that existed and that how that was being used in, you know, tandem with unreal engine. Uh, I knew that was going to be the future. And so I, I downloaded unreal and started learning it and, you know, and, and just enough to be able to speak the language, you know, I'm not going to become mm, right. some great VFX artist, but enough that as a director, I can communicate, you know, adequately. And so I think it, it really helps us to stay on the up and up of, of what tools are available to us because you know, if I'm a painter and I'm just like, well, I got these fingers and I can finger paint and I don't even know that brushes exist. It's really going to limit, you know, what I can do with that canvas. So, uh, so yeah, I think it's really valuable to just know, you know, have your finger on the pulse of what's going on.
0: Yeah. And for our listeners, this might be asking too much (laughs) to simplify it, but are you able to kind of explain briefly, like what these, the led walls and and unreal kind of
2: creates? Absolutely. So, uh, easiest thing that a lot of people could probably compare it to is rear projection you know so when you see like those old movies in the 40s and they're driving in the car and like the background doesn't like quite line up basically mm-hmm. what they did is they had a giant projector behind the car and they were projecting you know footage of a road or whatever uh behind them Yeah. so now uh the technology is developed where you build a giant uh wall that is an led screen like a giant tv basically and it's you know 100 feet by 300 feet or whatever mm-hmm. um what gets really exciting is you combine that with uh, a, a software called unreal which is um a, a technology to build those environments that go on the mm-hmm. screen um i recommend everybody just download it and try it's a free software they let you just Stop. use it yeah it's, <laughs> it's 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 absolutely bonkers and so you can get it, and you can download assets for free as well, and start building virtual worlds. Um, and then, where things really uh, get connected is, you can now put tracker motion trackers on the camera,
0: okay. because
2: the problem with those with rear projection and and LED walls is, uh, you know, things like parallax. When I start to when you mm-hmm. start to move the camera, you have a static wall there that's yeah. you know so you don't get the same depth you can't rack focus back and forth between those things a lot of issues like that so now they've they've combined motion trackers like just like you would use when you're doing motion capture you know suits and things like that to the camera itself so as the camera moves the screen moves with it um oh, wow digitally not not physically the digitally the screen moves so you you actually can capture that parallax in in, and it helps sell that there's you know an actual environment there that's not really there
0: yeah yeah Yeah. if anybody's (laughs) curious about
2: it they did a lot of really good behind the scenes for mandalorian um because that was one of the first Mm -hmm. big projects to use that that tech um and so i think you can find that on disney plus or youtube or wherever but uh I yeah. think especially for directors and cinematographers you need to learn this because like pretty much every car commercial you see now is shot on these walls and you can't really tell you know and and the industry is only moving further and further in that direction so it's it's really valuable to have that in your tool belt.
0: Yeah how cool like that this technology exists, you know, it's like compared to even, you know, the major studios that used to just have the painted backdrops, you know, advanced so much. That's really cool that 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 exists.
2: Well, and and for us, you know, you mentioned we have a a kid actor. So, you know, Mm -hmm. shooting overnights is off the table. Legally, we can't even shoot overnights with with the kids. So what do we do for night exterior scenes? How do Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, okay, are we doing day for night? Like, uh, that yeah. never really looks right, you know. And and so the <laughs> test that we did in the in, with the the LED wall was a a guy sitting at a campfire at night in the woods. And even if we could have the kid for overnights, overnights are just such a pain in the ass to do from the crew perspective. Scheduling it's really difficult, and then also lighting the woods at night can be so mm-hmm. time consuming and expensive. You need so much gear. To make that happen, and power. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like the
1: generation, the
2: exactly. Like,
1: it's be so
2: we we did it on the stage, and it took us, I don't know, maybe an hour to set up for this shot. And we had a beautifully lit forest, in air quotes, <laughs> behind him. We had a little uh, light gag, you know, acting like the fire. We put some foreground. We brought in real branches, so we had like some foreground elements that were real, and we shot. And that was it. And it was the it was Tell me three o'clock in the yes afternoon. We do, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be putting that up uh, on Instagram really soon. Uh, we've been yeah, we've been just yeah, showing that stuff to uh, investors uh, thus far, but we're going to start putting that stuff out. Smart. Um, but yeah, so you know, in an hour, we did what would have taken us probably twelve hours you know, mm-hmm. to do practically. And we could just do it in the middle of the day in a warehouse in Phoenix, you know, so. Yeah.
1: Uh, I was just going to ask, like, where did you find this venue of choice? Like, was it back in Vermont? Are you going to fly the kid out to AZ now? Like, that's so cool. Like, that's that's in your, like, back, backyard. Yeah. House, pretty much. Yeah, luckily. <laughs> to have it there. Luckily,
2: with all my connections in Phoenix still, I heard about this stage um, mm-hmm. uh, oh. 300... 3,500 degrees Kelvin, I think they're called. Um, and they they offered to do a free test day. They're like, hey, just come in and, and use the gear and, and try this out and see if this is going to work for your production. Um, so we did. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, it could be a case where we need to bring the kid, you know, out to do that uh, if we go that route. But we're already bringing most of our crew to Vermont. So it's you right. know, it's just it's going to be a it's plane ticket a one way or the other. Yeah. So <laughs> right. uh so yeah, but these stages are popping up all over the place. I heard about there's one in New Hampshire. Uh obviously LA's got probably 500 of them by now.
1: I was just going to say. So yeah, they're they're <laughs> popping our- up all over.
0: Yeah. And so let's talk like logistics of this for like producer minded people like ourselves. So because you're in your finding funding stage as well with your film. So like what kind of does this technology cost? Like is this does this up your budget considerably or is it actually pretty affordable? Talk to me about that.
2: Yeah. I mean, hard numbers. If you were, you know, a professional crew coming in, shooting a commercial on a stage like that, it's not cheap, certainly. Mm -hmm. And there's now more like different people that you need to hire as well. Like there's certain Mm -hmm. techs that work with that type of gear. Um, So there is a bit of a balancing act that needs to happen. You know, uh, luckily we have some relationships and we can kind of start to make some deals and, you know, people that just want to see the movie get made, you know, we can work some stuff out that way. Um, But you weigh that with getting a, you know, two-ton grip truck out into the middle of the woods and the 12 people that it's gonna take you know that budget number starts to really get up there as well to to shoot it practically so it's a it's sort of a balancing act of of those
0: things yeah that makes sense
1: yeah I was that was gonna be one of my follow-up questions are is that would you have to hire a technician an operator to like help run this stage i guess yeah i think like that is trained to run this stage i think
2: most of those stages sort of come with a a crew like you you gotta pay them obviously their rate and whatever that is but you're not you know putting up a craigslist ad looking for you know a stage person like they they have like their in-house people um that can handle that stuff where it gets a little tricky is is what's going on the screen so you would probably want to have uh, an, an unreal artist you know mm-hmm. uh, in pre-production designing those backgrounds, the state,
1: the backgrounds right yeah.
2: and and what's really exciting about that is you can then in unreal put a, a digital like a virtual camera plop it down and start to see what your actual shots will look like so you can actually be pre vising mm-hmm. with the backdrop backdrops that'll be actually captured on the stage mm-hmm. as well
0: So cool. (laughs) My mind is just, like, blown by how, I I guess, intricate, you know, this this is.
2: Yeah. Very cool. It's really exciting.
0: Yeah. Hey, Fam, fam, have you heard us raving about Jambox yet? Because let me tell you, it's such an amazing tool for filmmakers, podcasters, advertisers, and anyone who needs music for their projects.
1: Jambox.io is so versatile. They've got songs and sound effects organized by artist, genre, mood, and tags.
0: And they're actually affordable. For as little as $9.99 a month for independent creators, $6 a month for students, or $19.99 a song, you can choose whether a subscription-based membership or a la carte pricing works better for you. And they're flexible. For individual creators, to commercial, to advertising, to theatrical release, they've got you covered.
1: Plus, they're constantly growing and evolving with new songs and playlists all the time and customer service on point, they really do have everything you need.
0: We've been working with them for a while now and couldn't be happier. That's why we have a special coupon code for our listeners. For 10%
1: off your purchase, make sure you enter code FEM10 at checkout. That's FEM, F-E-M-M-E, 10 at jambox.io where they connect creators with ridiculously good music and sound effects. What, uh, what cameras are you going to be working with on the exterior shots?
2: Um, we've been talking, uh, my DP, we, we just had that conversation recently. Um, he has a Alexa mini and, and loves the Alexa mini. And um, cool. I, I personally, I'm not like, I'm not the type of director who really likes to stick their hands in that, those decisions. I'm like, hey mm-hmm. man, I trust you. You're good at your job camera looks beautiful, you know, we've shot some other like stuff Like, they're on it, speaking so.
1: your language in terms of what you, you both see the vision, I feel like that's what matters the most. I'm like, you understand the kind of light, the mm-hmm. color that I we, like, want throughout the film, and I feel like that, to me, as long as we're on the same page there, you can use whatever camera, I believe, to, like, capture that. <laughs> like, yeah. our cameras are good. <laughs> the
2: thing I'm more excited about is lenses, honestly, because... I feel comfortable nerding out with you guys because this is a filmmaking podcast. So (laughs) we, um, one of our biggest, uh, probably our biggest visual inspiration for the film is paintings from that period. So we, we made the choice to, rather than pulling inspiration from other films and, and the language of cinema, we're looking to paintings from 18, the mid 1800s, you know, and specifically, um, the Hudson River School painters who were all working up in that area around that time, and actually, the title of the Savage State comes from a painting by Thomas Cole that was around oh. that that period
1: that is so cool. yeah, and so
2: part of that is how do we lens this, you know, and mm-hmm. so Uh, My DP, thankfully, is is like a little mad genius. And and so he's literally like rehousing old vintage lenses to be able to fit onto this camera. And so we can get like interesting glass distortions to sort of better match what you see on the edge of paintings. You know, Mm -hmm. like if you really study a lot of those paintings of that time, you know, they would put a lot of detail into the subject. But then around the edges, it sort of gets... Blurred and 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 yeah. you know melded like in. Vignette, exactly almost. exactly yeah. so we're looking at like how do we create that now with a lens you know that same sort of mm-hmm. feeling and effect so uh, just
0: slap a little Vaseline on it I mean
2: we are that, <laughs> we are not above that at all we, we do all sorts of crazy tricks I mean I'm I'm kind of known. Uh, as being the director who just like throws weird shit in front of the lens, you know, I always Mm -hmm. in my camera bag have like a little bag of like broken glass. Basically it's all sorts of different pieces of glass and plastic and all like stuff that I've found over the years that we like to put in front of the lens to create different effects. And so we're going to be using a
0: lot of that on this film as well. Very cool.
1: Dude, I'm so excited. (laughs) I like that was gonna be one of my questions is why this time period specifically because it's it's very specific like I, I was I was curious so yeah did you just happen to stumble upon these paintings like it all and you were moved I, I
2: mean I don't know if you guys have had this experience when you're writing but I do I tend to do a lot of research uh, especially because I'm into writing period piece stuff so it, it requires a lot of research but mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Something that I found is like pieces will sort of start to click together and then you'll do some research and something you've written already makes sense with the research that you hadn't researched yet. And you're like, wait, how totally. How did that happen? You know, like and I, yeah. and I don't really understand it. I'm not going to pretend to understand it, but I just go with it. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, why 1850? Uh, a couple of reasons. I mean, a a huge theme that we're exploring with the film is the corruption of innocence. And one of the ways Mm -hmm. that we are showcasing that is, is the effect that man has on nature, you know, and how we are these parasites that just go around destroying the planet basically. And we need to all learn to live in more, you know, in harmony with nature. Well, in the mid 1800s in New England, like the land was pretty much clear cut, like they were just destroying the forest because so much relied on on lumber and timber. And so you had uh, a starting to you, you started to have a growing sort of consciousness of people being like, hey, like maybe we should be protecting this more. Um, Mm -hmm. And then out of that came art, of course. And you had these painters who were really emphasizing those landscapes and saying, look at how beautiful this is, you know, making Mm -hmm. people look at how beautiful the land was so that they wouldn't destroy it. And, and from that, you ended up having some of our first um, national parks, you know, started to be established to protect the land. Um, So that was a huge part of it. Another part of it that, uh, I've been sort of building a world. Um, so I've, I've made three short films now that all exist in the same world. And this feature also exists in that world. So for the sort of timeline of that, uh, cinematic universe, if you will, um, the Savage State will, will show audiences how that world started and how that came to be. And it came to be in 1850
0: in New England. That's such a good idea to like, I mean, you know, everyone says make shorts before you make your first feature, but to actually have them all kind of in the same cinematic universe, as you say, you know, like, because that then lays that groundwork for you that you can keep going, you can keep making features, and they can all be interconnected. And this has like, that allows you to have that proof of concept, show that you really understand this work, this world, all of that, like, that's, it's just a great, Marketing, et cetera, <laughs> tool for you, you know
2: yeah, i mean i've for yeah. me, I've always really admired you mm-hmm. know like tolkien and and even looking back at like greek mythology and and any time that um stories are interconnected, and characters mm-hmm. are interconnected, even looking at things like Star Wars and Marvel and you know these worlds where you can go into one film and enjoy it and just be like, Oh, that was cool. I know nothing about anything else. And that was fun. Or yeah. you can know the whole backstory and who these people are and you can see, you can pick it. I love that stuff. And so I've always, you know, had my heart set on creating that. And so I started with shorts, you know, like I said, and now moving into features and then hopefully branching out into all sorts of other, you know, different types of media um, and exploring this world really for the rest of my life. I want to tell stories that, that expand in this, this world that
0: I'm creating. I love that.
1: Well, because there's so much now that you have are about to, like, do your first big piece on it, so to speak. Like, I just feel like since you already have a love and you're continuing to grow it, that there is, like, much more. There's just room for you to keep building it and building it and finding those layers, which can be so, like, I think, as a writer, so cool to continue on. Um, so do you think, I mean, it's hard to speak right now, maybe, but do you picture it to continue to move in the future tense or keep going back
2: um, in
1: time? Uh, or do you see time as like a nonlinear aspect in life?
2: So, yeah, so... <laughs> it-
1: do you view time as time does nonlinear? Exist. <laughs> <laughs> Everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> Time is a flat <laughs> circle. Uh, no, I, um, exactly. So 1850 for this world, like 1850, is sort of there's there's a thing that happens in the movie. I won't you know spoil it for you yet, but there's a thing that happens that sort of okay. sets things in motion. So mm-hmm. everything starts there, um, and then I have I have an idea of when this world ends as well. So I I, I have the of those two bookends, which I think is really important everything in the middle we can jump around and so that's the hope is um we can jump through time you know telling these different stories that take place in that window and Mm -hmm. the audiences who really want to be engaged and want to dive deeper will start to see the connections but also just the average movie goer or book reader or whoever they are um can just enjoy that that single thing for what it is
0: yeah very cool. So I also want to get into a little bit the slightly less fun, but just as important aspect of financing, um, since that's kind of where you are in your timeline of production right now. Um, and that's where we are as well. So we're extra interested to know um, how you decided to go the route that you did, you know, donations versus um, uh, investors versus equity crowdfunding, you know, all of those sorts of options that we have as filmmakers, how did you decide to go the route that you are?
2: Yeah. So we are, we went the crowd equity route. Mm-hmm. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's, it's essentially, a, there's new laws in place that there used to be a lot of restrictions on investing. You know, you had to be an accredited investor to be get involved in something like this. And I think, that was really important. It protected people from being scammed. Um, but now the laws have sort of loosened up a little bit and, and made it possible to make very small investments into a company. And so you'll see a lot of startups now, you know, raising from friends and family, and you can throw in 100 bucks and be an investor in this, you know, mm-hmm. company. Um, and now more and more filmmakers are starting to do it as well. I mean, Jim Cummings famously is, has killed it, you know, with a couple of films and, and been very successful, not only raising the money, but then recouping the money and getting great distribution for these projects. And mm-hmm. what's really exciting to me about that is Hollywood and filmmaking forever have been surrounded by gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. And you need to get to this person, to that what? person. What? Shocking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, And so you know, as this, like, kid from a small town in Vermont, like, I I don't even know where the gatekeepers are, let alone how to get to them and how to, you know, entice them into this weird-ass fucking project I'm trying to do. They already
1: have their format, they have their equation, Mm -hmm. and if you don't fill it, fit into the variables, you're not, they're just not going to green line it. It's still such, yeah, it's mind-blowing that it's still that. So, (laughs)
2: similarly to what I think you know sites like kickstarter and indiegogo did where where you could now go to your friends and family and your audience and say hey we want to build this thing if you donate you can get a t-shirt or whatever mm-hmm. now with sites like wefunder like where we are it's not a donation it's an investment and you're actually buying a percentage of that company that owns the film and so when that mm-hmm. film then recoups its money fingers crossed um (laughs) you know it goes back to the investors and and we all sort of split that pot and so what's great about that i think for me i I never did the kickstarter thing i never did the indiegogo thing i just never felt like i had the right project for that and and didn't want to tap into my audience for that but then once things like crowd equity opened up i i felt more comfortable now reaching out to friends and family and saying hey it's not a donation like yeah. When when this film sells, you know, hopefully, then you're going to get your money back, and and that mm-hmm. to me just is a much better uh, much better situation. Now, obviously, it has its uh, shortcomings as well. I mean, it's a grind. That has been the biggest mm-hmm. lesson with doing something like this. Anybody who's done any sort of crowdfunding campaign knows it. it it's a full time job in and of itself. Yeah. I mean. I sent 200 emails in the past month, you know, like personalized, not just copy and paste 200, like personalized, like, Hey, how you been? What's going on? Here's my project, you know, like connecting with people that I haven't talked to in years, you know, and just trying to, uh, see who's interested in this project and interested in supporting me and the film and this story that's being told.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's no matter which route you take, whether it's, you know, traditional crowdfunding, investors, whatever, like you have got to be on top of everyone, you know, you know, it feels like begging for money, but you also a lot of times come to see how many people then are supportive of you and do want to see you succeed and want to have a hand in that, even if they can't afford to be like a big investor, you know, they want to donate something. They want to help you out, which is promising. (laughs) Um, But yeah, going this route, it's, it's nice because it's, you are giving something back besides, you know, a t-shirt, which is kind of Carolina and I are figuring out right now, like what are the kind of rewards that people do want you know again a t- yeah. t- t-shirt's kind of like and some people we, we, hey. we beat out the t yeah price. i get it some people do love merch like that it works for some people but like that from the very beginning was like that's not what we want to yeah. give that's not what our audience wants to get you know so this gives them an exactly. actual percentage then of a return and then i'm just curious is there you know once the film is made if you do have difficulty selling it is there any sort of like pushback that way, or is it just they they agree that you know the the money is being then donated essentially to the movie if there isn't a return?
2: I'm not a lawyer, but my my <laughs> understanding of it is it's it's like investing in anything really that you, you okay. know your. If the company fails, ultimately, mm-hmm. your investment could go to zero. You know, there is that mm-hmm. there is that risk. And, and I guess you could consider that a donation at that point um, would be yeah. probably a healthy way of, <laughs> of thinking about it for <laughs> yourself. Um, but what I think for us has been really important because I, you know, like we talked about last time I was on, on the, I've been on the crew side for so long and I've been a part of so many other films and I've been a crew member on a, on films that never saw the light of day. I can think of at mm-hmm. least two feature films that I worked on for over a month as a crew member that never came out. Like, not because they couldn't get distribution, just the filmmakers never finished them. Mm-hmm. And to me, I know how shitty that feels as a crew member who put my time okay. into it. If I had invested thousands of dollars in that, I would not be happy. And so you know, that is, that is not on the table for us. That's not an option. Mm -hmm. The film is getting made. I have jokingly said, if the money doesn't come through, I'm going to be in the garage with sock puppets, you know, making this movie (laughs) if that's what it comes down to. But realistically, we've put as much planning into the marketing and distribution. And, you know, we're already having conversations with distributors now, you know, to be prepared for that end of things. So, Um, because I think so many filmmakers just get focused on making the film that they forget about the whole business side of it. Yeah. And that's not fair to your investors. And ultimately it's not fair to your film and the crew that's working on it because that film is not going to end up getting seen by the people that need to see it because you just didn't put the work into it and effort into it. So we're really working as hard on that aspect of it as we are the creative and the fun parts. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is so important. I mean, we say that all the time with the things that we as soon as we really start on a project and it gets anywhere beyond like, hey, we've got this idea. Like we're like, we have to see it through, you know, and of course, you can't guarantee that anyone's going to buy it. You can't guarantee that it's going to get into any festivals. You know, those are all the hopes. But like if you can at least finish it and have it that you can show people like ultimately, I mean, that's got to be goal number one you know?
2: Yeah. And you can guarantee well, the effort that you're going to put in. I think that's important, yeah. you know, cause yeah, you can't, you, there's no result out there that you can actually say 100% is going to be a thing, but you can right. guarantee that you're going to work all day, every day at making that happen. And mm-hmm. that's what we're doing.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: No, that's that, that and having like the overall plan, I think this being our first feature as well, like going into the proposal and coming up with as clear as we could to just even understand all the different various windowing aspects and platforms, the, the digital streaming platforms, OTT, all of that shit, like just understanding and, and picking a route that we think would fit mm-hmm. our film, but knowing that, yeah, we can't guarantee that, but at least we're aware of what's available to us. And where that could go and showing investors that we are like, we've done our research, we've done our homework and we're going to continue to. I think it's like not the the fun, creative parts of <laughs> making a film, but absolutely 100% like so vital into the pre-production. Yeah. It's like having all that. And so listeners, if you haven't signed up for our MailChimp newsletter, they don't need to know it's on MailChimp, but <laughs> MailChimp's is a really great site. I use, I use um, it too for ours. <laughs> yeah. It's so great and sponsored and so by Mailchimp. <laughs> we wish, <laughs> we, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if you sign up, we we give out this free template that's super edible to to fit into your film because we have some examples of like what we did for ours. Because I get that it's so overwhelming. Um, I I spent the hours, Tessa and I both, like through millions of Google Docs just writing down everything from what we are learning and in, in the distribution route and what we can do and that goes with, like obviously just beyond distribution but what what film festivals like all of that like you gotta like if you want something to happen i'm a firm believer that you just kind of have to visualize you have to visualize and like get real detail like in anything you want to do in life like when you make your film you're visualizing the scenes why wouldn't you visualize this is so LA, but why wouldn't you like visual? Cause I, I hate it when people are like just visualize it, but you have to be informed to know what you can see. Yeah. Or, yeah. Does that make sense? Do yeah. y'all get what I'm saying? Totally. What I'm putting down. Yeah. I th- Maybe this margarita is hitting five minutes, but that's like,
0: <laughs>
2: I think it's really valuable to start with the end in mind. Right. And, uh-huh. and, the, yeah. and that goes for what does my finished film look like? Of course. So artistically, but, after that beyond that you know we already have a list of festivals to submit to and what the dates are and so like we know like okay we're working and towards <laughs> exactly maybe, you know, you know exactly. and then exactly. and then yeah. distribution what does that look like you know and what does a poster look like you know and just yeah. having all of that stuff in mind now uh it is, is so valuable and ultimately can alter the way that you're going into production, you know, so, you know, mm-hmm. like, okay, do we need to spend as much time on that or should we focus a little bit more time on this to make sure that we're creating something that's actually going to be seen by a large group of people and not just, you know, Carolina's mom after she w- yeah. listens to this podcast.
1: Sophia's going to be uh, front row and center, <laughs> wherever it ends up preparing. Let's just say it. I mean, yeah, I think, that is, I, well said that, you know, you kind of have to see the end in that way in order to even make the thing. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, it does prepare you, I think, a lot of times for like the choices you make yeah. as you're filming. And it's like, you know, like I said, you're already going to do great with that PG rating. You know, it's it's going to be, I'm manifesting theatrical distribution through and through. Here we go. The yeah. board has, has given <laughs> an, an approval. <laughs> yeah. Because that stuff matters. Ours is probably going to be rated R. Maybe PG-13. No, I feel like we can get with the PG-13 rating. Um, I tried to look so into I, it I to
0: see exactly the breakdown yeah. of the MPAA stuff. I literally, like, was skimming through hundreds of pages. Um, I love that you
1: were. But essentially, yes, the, the end
0: answer is only, like, you have to send it to them for them yeah. to decide. They don't give you the exact breakdown. I
1: think, from what I heard recently, if we have more than, like, one fuck, then it's, like, a no-go. So I'm like, God damn, why, do, why does my character have to be like me? And we just say <laughs> <laughs> for too many times. Well, I don't know, but these are decisions. Yeah. You can decide yeah. like what feels right.
2: And I've heard yeah. that indie films tend to be treated a little bit differently than a lot of the studio projects do as far as that rating
0: goes.
1: Oh, yeah, why am mm. I even thinking about that? <laughs>
0: and, um,
1: <laughs> like, we have a say. Right. Like, we're going to, like... <laughs> but, you know, again, you never know. You got to just...
2: I'm I'm of well, the opinion yeah, it's though, the whole planning. if you're gonna
0: optimistic, if
2: you're gonna make Optim- an R movie, just make right. a fucking R movie. Put all you the know. fucks in it, you know. Because I've also I've worked I've seen other people's projects where the
1: title of this episode they,
2: <laughs> they try to like sort of toe this weird line of like it could be PG thirteen, it could be R. And ultimately, it ends up, like, not really being good for a PG-13 audience, but not really something that an R audience really cares about Mm -hmm. either. Um, So, I'm of the opinion of, like, if you're going R, just go R. Like, go all the way. And, you know, you're going to find a lot of people that really appreciate that film.
0: Yeah. Agreed. If you're not making a film specifically for, like, that age range of teenagers, Mm -hmm. R is kind of more realistic people say fuck every day in real life like you yep. know oh no there now is my nudity mom every day in real life, life. she's <laughs> gonna be like you're doing so good
1: why did you say f eh? that's what she says in her polish accent no f eh. sorry sophia sorry 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 we're doing so good
0: <laughs> no but i agree uh, with you i think it's kind of yeah. yeah if you unless you're marketing again to like that younger age If you're going to go R, just go R and just commit to it. And the audiences are going to appreciate that. It's going to feel less contrived. Yeah. Yeah. What
1: advice, kind of maybe end the the fundraising aspect, would you give those who are... About to start <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, <laughs> into uh, leading a, a successful campaign, like anything that stood out to you thus far. I know you're still in the thick of it, guys. Donate what? Donate. Um, invest. invest. Inves. Yes, it, invest. It's Not donate. It's invest. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. What? What? Yeah. What wise words would you have if you have any?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean. It's the thing that everybody says, but it's very true. Um, Plan, plan, plan. Um, The thing, though, that I didn't plan enough for, I think, was plan B, C, and D. You know, we had, Mm -hmm. I think, a really solid plan A, but when in the first few weeks, like, that wasn't quite going how we thought it was going to, um, we really hit a wall. And Mm -hmm. so I think having, if we had had as far as the campaign goes, plan B and C sort of ready to go and knowing like, okay, we need to pivot. We need to pivot. We need to pivot. um, We would have been in a much better, better place. And so that has sort of slowed us down a little bit. Um, I really recommend, uh, I read this book. I think it's Seth Godin wrote it. It's called the dip. Um, Not just for fundraising, but any creative, but it's helped me a ton because it's sort of about with any major endeavor. Like there's that initial, like, hump of that spark of like oh this is exciting and we're getting a lot of good feedback and all that and then there's usually a big dip after that where things slow down and there's a big lull and that's where you end up quitting you know or you right. press you push through and then you get into the upswing and have success and so that mm-hmm. book really came at a pivotal time in this process for me and and even just with the film in general um so yeah definitely have a plan a b and c um, no, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Reach out to obviously anybody and everybody who you think could be connected to it. I've also I found that sometimes it really helps to not just be asking them for money because not everybody can invest or donate with, to your project, but ask them for help. You know, so mm-hmm. think about like, oh, what skill set do they have that might help my project, and how can I tap yeah. into that? Are they marketer maybe. And I can say, Hey, I got this project. Do you have any ideas for us? And and so now they're, you know, they're thinking about your project all the time and and you've got a new sort of ambassador out there in the world, trying to think of ways of getting your project out there. So not just Mm -hmm. asking folks for money, but asking them for help in, you know, whatever it is that they do. That's been a a big uh, thing for us, I think. And I think also
1: that's huge. Yeah, Yeah. for sure.
2: And uh, be prepared. I think One thing that I've really learned is folks that you thought would be really responsive and really supportive maybe aren't. And people who you haven't talked to in years are going to come out of the woodwork and be your biggest supporter. And that's really unexpected. So maybe just kind of be prepared for to not be totally let down on the one side and also be pleasantly surprised on the other side of that.
0: Yeah, we've definitely experienced that already just, you know, with the little that we've done and with this podcast and all of that. So it it is always interesting to see that, you know, but I mean, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for your project. I think it sounds like an amazing project. I'm very excited to see, you know, when it does get made and finished. Like, I can't wait to watch the film. So.
2: Thank uh, you. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. And this is my first time really doing any sort of fundraising. You know, any projects mm-hmm. that have had a budget before have either been something for a client, you know, and we have that type of a budget or something that I'm just paying for out of mm-hmm. my own pocket. And, and this film... Same. Yeah. <laughs> so this is my first real experience doing this. But I think taking this step I, it has been there's been so much personal growth for me, especially as an yeah. introvert. It's like so hard for me to, you know, get put myself out there and have these conversations. And and so there's been so much personal growth. And so I think even just as an artist, you know, I encourage everyone if you haven't done this type of thing and you have a big dream, try doing something like this, whether it's Kickstarter or Indiegogo or, or something that's more crowd equity like or, you know, Putting yourself out there and putting your dreams out there is really fucking hard. And you have to be so vulnerable doing it. But that's where that success sort of comes from. Because if you just stay at home in a bubble and not showing your work to anybody, then why are you making it? You're going to end up with like J.D. Salinger and you just die with like 30 novels that nobody's read sitting in a drawer. (laughs) So uh, get out there and and make some stuff and, and let us all pitch in and help you make it.
0: Yes. Moral of the story. Yes. (laughs) Chris, I am, I, this
1: thank you for, for saying that. And I think a lot of artists tend to be introverted and find this whole thing uncomfortable. I'm not so introverted, but I still find the aspect of crowdfunding Tesla tell you right away. I was like, Oh no, 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 no. I just want a larger donation. I'm going to talk, and I'm still like, manifesting that, but <laughs> <laughs> like I know we gotta do it. we gotta do the crowdfunding work. I mean there's especially I think for your first film, like that's just the way it goes. you gotta you gotta really fight for it and hopefully you know get some return investments once you've successfully done it. So it's just a little, maybe a little bit easier. Yeah. The second film, the third film, you know? That's what I keep telling myself. (laughs) Like,
0: this is
2: going to be way easier on the next film. So. <laughs> but no, it's
0: obviously because then you have that work to show for yourself. You show that yep. a you successfully you know got investors to give you money for a film to begin with, yeah. and then b once the film's out and complete, you made it. You didn't just drop it, and then c whatever success it ends up having. It's like you all of those things are just on top of each other, showing off that you can do this. You know, and it's proving that it's worth investing in your future work.
2: Yeah, I think even also like that personal growth, that I was talking about the first email I sent was like, uh, uh, I don't, am I, what am I, am I doing this right by the 200th email? I'm like, yo, what's up? I'm making this movie here. You know, like <laughs> I just, you know, I've got it down now and it's obviously still hard, but like, you know, you got to push yourself through those hard things, you know, and that's mm-hmm. how we grow and, and get better and, and learn. And, and ultimately, hopefully now when I send 200 more emails, um, you know, it's going to be that much easier to do and, and, hopefully he'd more results as well
1: yeah absolutely I think it kind of for us even with our guests I feel like I've gone in great practice not intentionally at all because it it was hard for me to kind of you know guess will ask us what we're up to and it forced us to be like okay yeah we're we're doing sync it's our first feature film they then follow it up but like what's it about and I I started realizing like shikari you're not you're not ready to talk about it yet like this is so the podcast has been really cool way for us to kind of push ourselves to get in that mode of i know my story like i've now like in a way rehearsed it to the t of like talking about it so i'm like just excited now whenever someone asks i'm like oh ready to nerd out a little (laughs) (laughs) sit down yeah Let's talk. Let's talk about all the things. And yeah. it's really fun now. Now it's just like fun. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Okay. yeah, You need to hear <laughs> about this cool concept. And if
2: you're not going to be excited about it, nobody's going to be excited about it. So get, yeah, you know, exactly. getting over that and being able to like, I call it getting out of my own way, you know, and just like, hey, yeah, here's the thing. I'm fucking pumped about it. It's an awesome movie. It's dark fantasy. We haven't seen anything like this in years. It's going to be cool. Like here it is, you know, and I think yeah. for you guys, you have this amazing audience, you have the, the femme fam, you know, and, and they're (laughs) all ready to support you. So give us a platform where we can put our credit card in and, and, Help you make your damn movie already,
0: <laughs> yeah, well, speaking oh, okay. of to wrap up, um, if you want to share with our listeners the actual link, and I'll type it into the show notes as well that they can go if they're interested in investing, and then on top of that, any you know social media, all that good stuff, in case they haven't listened to your episode, guys, go back to season nine and check it out. But yeah,
2: yeah, the best place to go right now would be the dot com and that'll take you right to our our fundraising page. Uh, where you could become an investor if you so choose. Um, there's also a link there where you could um, book a one-on-one call with myself or, or, or our executive producer if you had questions about the project or want to find out more before you're getting involved or if you have some ideas of ways that could help us, um, you could book a call with us right there on the, on the page as well. Uh, other than that, I'm most active on Instagram, uh, Chris Heck 13. And also uh, our production company theater 13 uh, has an account as well. And we've been posting concept art from the film every week. So every week we post new concept art to kind of show you what is to come from the film. So that's a good place to find that, that stuff. Very cool.
0: Fam fam. Gotta,
1: gotta stay trending on it. That's, no, it sounds really cool. I like, I mean, if, I feel like we all like some of the same like period piece. Like I just realized the other day with te- like, I don't know if we discovered this on the pod that even though we're set in the the near future, putting it in this future time frame kind of still gives it period piece. Like we're kind of researching mm-hmm. optics and like technology and clothing, like just trying to figure out that world. So I just, we love it. I feel like our our community will love your concept too very much so so go nerd out with him y'all and Chris thank you for for joining us on this Tuesday night
2: thank you guys no that was a lot of fun I'm (laughs) glad we were able to sync up and catch up and uh hopefully we can do it again soon one thing I wanted to say real quick about we funder versus a kickstarter or something like that Mm -hmm. I mean it sounds like you guys have made a choice and, and it's a good choice but one thing I didn't quite realize that it has been, I think, is going to be a big benefit is um, so once you hit 50K on WeFunder, you can start pulling funds because um, mm-hmm. that money goes into escrow. And so if you got all your paperwork done and everything's good, after 50K, you can actually start using that money, but leave your campaign up. so okay. So we can actually start shooting the campaign is still active and we can say, Hey guys, look, here's footage. Here's proof of concept. The movie's actually happening. So people that were maybe on the fence a little bit, like, I don't know, is this real thing? Like, and then they see some footage and like, Mm -hmm. damn, that looks cool. And now I want to up my investment or I want to put money in or whatever that is. And so where, with a Kickstarter, you're focusing on like those 30 days, make or break. And there's something like, that's really valuable about that. I think getting people, you know, like, Hey, you got to come in now or else it's not Mm going to happen. WeFunder tends to be a longer haul, which is more akin yeah. to traditional, you know, investing. And so what's nice that I've found is like once we hit that 50K, we can go into production and then try to raise the rest basically and and, and still have that campaign up, which is going to be helpful.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I didn't know that.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you guys again. I, I really do appreciate it. It helps, you know, get the word out there and we need all the help. Yeah, with it, so.
0: absolutely.
2: Sweet. Awesome. All right. Bye. Have a good night. Well, have a great rest
0: of your night. Thanks for listening to FemRegard Podcast. If you like what you hear, tune in every Friday for more tips on the filmmaking business and insightful conversations with industry professionals.
1: We can only grow with your support, so please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also join the Femme Fam on Patreon. For more on us, check us out at FemRegard.com.